Welcome to Season 6 of Soul Sessions with KK, the Aliyah series. Do you ever wonder how people leave everything behind and make a big move like Aliyah? Meet four brave women from different backgrounds and circumstances who made Aliyah. Some moved to Israel while they were single, and some moved with their families. Whatever their journey, their stories will inspire you to take a little bit of Israel home with you or maybe even consider moving to Israel yourself. If you're thinking about potentially making Aliyah, I highly suggest just starting a conversation with Nefesh Benefesh and ask all of your questions. Please note that moving to Israel is a very serious decision that shouldn't be made without proper consultation, research, and strategy. Many have tried and failed, so it's important to do your due diligence. Hopefully, this series of four interviews will cover a lot of important ground. Enjoy the series. You're listening to episode 42 of Soul Sessions with KK and part four of the Aliyah series. In this episode, I speak with Yafi Newman, who is a veteran of the podcast world. And she speaks to me about her Aliyah experience as a black and Latina Jew. Born and raised in Hollywood, Florida, Yafi opens up about what it was like to grow up as a black woman in a tight-knit Jewish community in the U.S., and how that experience was different after moving to Israel. Our conversation expanded my understanding of what it's like to be a minority of a minority. Are we supposed to be completely colorblind, or should we see color? We discussed this among other fascinating and eye-opening topics. This episode will open your mind and heart to Israel, the experience of Jewish minorities, and to the fact that Israel is a melting pot of Jews from all backgrounds and colors. In Israel, as in every other place in the world, a Jew is a Jew is a Jew. Without further ado, I would love to introduce Yafi Newman. Enjoy the show. Yafi, thank you so much for being here today. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, thank you. So I know that you're in school right now. When did you start going to school? Tell us a little bit about that. I actually started going to school a while ago. <laughs> um, when I first came to Israel, I made Aliyah right after my year in Israel, right after Sem. Um, I went to Nishmat. Anyone wanted to know? Great place. Nice. I was very much still in my American mindset of like, you have a plan, you have your five-year plan and you stick to it. You don't deviate no matter what. Um, and I kind of plowed ahead with that. And that's not the way that life works in Israel. <laughs> yeah. It's very man plans, God laughs. That's a lesson you learned very well here. Um, and so I, when I was living in the States, I had always thought that I'd want to study medicine. And so that was kind of the plan that I started going ahead with and made a way through the preparatory program to start studying medicine at Hebrew University. I realized that I actually didn't quite like the differences in lifestyle and a lot of things that doctors have in Israel in comparison to what I had seen in America. So I essentially decided to stop and step back and work for a few years because the thing that I was hearing from my Israeli friends is that, honey, you're not in America. Like switching between degrees is not like a casual thing that people do um, because most of the degrees that you study in Israel, like my husband right now is studying engineering. So he's literally only taking math and physics. Like that's it, like nothing else. There's no like electives. There's no like, oh, you need to take like a general math course that has nothing to do with engineering. Like you literally only do, it's like tunnel vision, like only whatever you're doing, that's the only thing you get to touch. Um, and they're like, don't waste time and money right now study starting to study something that you won't be able to get credits from or use or get very little credit from so i took their advice and i stopped for a few years um i also got married during that time and everything so it ended up being for the best we weren't living in jerusalem also and my husband was in the army then um and yeah i just worked and my husband got out of the army not this past summer now but the previous summer before then and we had been planning for about almost all five years of him being in the army, the big like post army trip, Tiul Shikhur, as they say in Israel. And um, we wanted to do ours in 
South America. My mother is from Panama. So I was very excited to have like a Latino heritage kind of like backpacking culture trip. Um, and we went on that and we backpacked for about five months. Then COVID happened and we ended up getting stuck in America, but everything ended up being a blessing. And so now we finally came back um, at the end of this past summer now in August. And uh, I went back to school and I'm studying computer science now. So let's just backtrack a little bit. What brought you to Israel to begin with? Why did you decide to go to seminary? Where are you from? Let's, let's go back. Backtrack. Yeah. Okay, so I was born and raised in Hollywood, Florida. Um, it's a really awesome community. And that was like the four walls that I pretty much only knew my whole life. And like the standard, like I'm nothing special in terms of like the choices I made coming to Israel because like everyone goes to Israel. Out of my grade of like close to 90 kids, I think like maybe 10 kids didn't come for a year in Israel. And um, it's like, you know, most high schools will have like a college guidance counselor that will like help you through the ropes of like, you know, the applications and interviews and what you should be doing and preparing. And a lot of schools like my school also have like a SEM slash yeshiva guidance counselor. So like we had that as well. And um, SEM is expensive. And like I said, I thought that I'd want to be a doctor then. And I was like, that's a long haul. And that's gonna mean a lot of student loans. And I was like, I grew up from like, I don't need to go to seminary. Like that was kind of how I perceived seminary. I was like, oh, it's like the place where people go and either like they waste a year partying um, or like they go and like they flip out. And like, I saw both things as like, oh, like that's not me. Like I know myself because everyone knows exactly who they are at 18, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I was like, yeah, I don't need to go to STEM. My parents really wanted me to go um, even though it was going to be expensive. All of my friends obviously wanted me to go. And my photo shaman ended up being that I was like, I'm not going to SEM, I'm just gonna go straight to college. And like everyone in my world, like friends, parents, like teachers were like, Yafi, you really have to go to seminary, you really should go. And like, um, my friend's dad actually was the one who like tipped the scale for me. He said to me, he was like, look, putting religion aside, this year is probably gonna be the last major year of your life that you can 100% be selfish. He's like, don't look at it from like a classic perspective. Look at it from the perspective of, this is probably the last year that rent will be paid for for you. Food will be fully paid for for you. All these things. You won't have to worry about school or bills or job or like, you know, any of that. And he's like, go for it. He's like, I grew so much on that year. You learned so much about yourself. You're so young, do it. Um, and I ended up doing it. And I essentially had no idea where I was gonna go or what I was gonna do. Um, all of my siblings are a lot older than me um, and they didn't go for gap year programs in Israel anyhow. So, so you were the first no one. one. Yeah, I was the first one. I had no one to like, you know, like a lot of my friends like, oh, my sister went to Harova. She said it's this. Like my brother went to like a right day. said it. It's like I had no one to have those things from. And so when I went in for my uh, my like meeting with like our SEM Yeshiva guidance counselor uh, teacher, she essentially was like, okay, you don't know what you want. Tell me what's your favorite subject in Limude Kodesh. And I said, Gemara. Uh, my high school offered a Gemara class that out of the entire high school, only about like five girls took. Yeah. It was not very popular. Um, it was not because I was so smart or so cool at all. It was more that I was failing Toshba and I really did not like it. So they were like, okay, here's another option. If you're not doing well in Toshba, you probably won't do well in Gemara, but go for it. And it ended up being fantastic for me. Like it was such like a change and like I guess like I needed to learn halacha like from that way as opposed to like the Toshba kind of angle um and I told her Gemara and she was like well if you like Gemara here are the top three seminaries for girls that teach Gemara properly um and so she said maybe you should look into them I know that you're not so interested but try and as I said man plans God laughs and I ended up at Nishmat and uh, yeah, my year in Israel was a little bit funny, not just because of that whole start of, oh, I wasn't going to go, but I didn't realize, <laughs> if anyone from Nishmat hears this, they're going to laugh at me, but I didn't realize that Nishmat was an Israeli seminary. Oh. <laughs> um, a lot of seminaries in Israel 
that are have Israelis and Americans right. will often have like pretty split programs, you know, like Harova, for example, both has Israelis and Americans, but the programs are pretty split. They're pretty different. If you want to have contact with Israelis or with Americans, you totally can, but they're not like hand in hand. And I remember when I got because all of the teachers were in Israel, I got a call from like the sort of Rosh Yeshiva of my program at Nishmat. And like he called and he's like, hi, Shalom, Zot Yafi Israel. And I was like, uh, 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 like, <laughs> what? And he's like, switch to English. He's like, I'm calling for your interview, you know? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, but we're going to speak in Hebrew. They told you that, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah, totally. And I was like, but just out of curiosity, like, why are we going to speak in Hebrew? And he's like, it's an Israeli seminary, <laughs> like it's an Israeli midrash. Yeah. Like your classes are going to be in Hebrew. You're going to be learning with Israelis. Like if you're not, if your Hebrew level isn't like you know up to snuff, so to speak, then like we either need to get it there or like you might want to think of a different place. So I had no idea. How was your Hebrew? Hebrew? Was it was just like everyone else's Hebrew. It was not oh. great. <laughs> oh okay. Um, yeah, I definitely had to. Uh, Definitely had to get serious about it before going. Um, but if I had known that it was Israeli, to be honest, I almost 100% would not have applied. Um, I probably would have looked for a program that was all English speakers or very, very separate and had like no contact with Israelis. But once again, man plans, God laughs. And it was really just like the best decision for me. I had an incredible time in all aspects of life. And the big thing that I had that year because our program was mixed with Israelis was that for Shabbos, a lot of like the classic places that a lot of my friends were going to, I wasn't going to. And at first I was really jealous. I was like, wait, I wanna go to that place. Like all my friends are getting to go there. Like I wanna go there as well. But I remember like our first out Shabbat, they took us to a Yeshuv Nevetzuf. I had no idea what a Yeshuv was. Like literally the word Yeshuv meant nothing to me. I thought that the place that we were in was called Yeshuv. And I remember talking to one of the Israelis at the end of Shabbos, cause it would have been physically the area's gorgeous, but just like everything else, like emotionally, the environment, like it was such a beautiful Shabbos. And I was like, what's this place called? It's so beautiful. And she's like, this Yeshuv is called Neve Tzuf in Hebrew to me. And I was like, wow, Yeshuv is really beautiful. And she's like, like looked at me like I was um but yeah so we saw a lot of different places or a little bit off the beaten track for an American at least yeah and it really opened my eyes to the fact that the perception the 18 year old me had of Israel and more importantly Israelis was really not the case Mm -hmm. I thought that whatever Israelis I had met up until now in America totally embodied and represented Israeli society and culture and that is so false it is so rich and varied in all aspects religiously like culturally socially everything um and it really opened my eyes and I just started recognizing Aliyah was something that I was never interested in ever to the point where like so many of my good friends in high school were part of like APAC and all of that and they would always try to convince me and like totally totally love Israel love Israel from my couch kind of vibes yeah um and I just the more the more we traveled that year and the more I met people and the more I was exposed to different pockets of Israeli culture and that was probably the biggest thing that like was a turnover for me that I did travel so much the more I started to recognize that there are certain in like non-tangible values and things about life and society here that I felt like no matter what, I wouldn't be able to bring back with me to America. Um, And I just realized that I wanted those things to be a part of my future. I just had an epiphany moment my last week of SEM and I called my parents and I was like, I'm moving here. And they were like, okay. (laughs) Was it that easy? My parents were very supportive. It really was that easy for me. I was super lucky. A lot of my friends I know did not have it that easy. And my parents were not the norm in this. They were very sad, but also elated at the same time. And they were super supportive and they were like, if you have a plan and you know what you're going to do and you have somewhat of structure, we trust you, go for it. And best decision I ever made. That's so interesting. I feel like maybe if you went to the all-American seminary and you weren't exposed to different aspects of Israeli life and you didn't travel to 
all these underground places that people don't really aren't really exposed to, you probably wouldn't have had the same enthusiasm and pull to like be like, this place is for me. I feel it. So do you think that the American seminaries and the gap year students, they're getting a real taste of Israel? I think they're getting a real taste of Israel for sure. I just don't know that they're getting a full taste of Israel, I think is how I'd put it. Like, I think for sure, like the experiences that are more typical for like Shabbosim and like trips and Tulim and whatnot are definitely still Israel. But I think that it's hard to realize until you've seen like the bigger picture, how small of a picture you're sometimes seeing. And I've dragged many of my friends over the years to like places that for me now feel very like normal and very part of the norm, but for them are very off the beaten track. And it's not always for them. Sometimes they're like, this is awesome, but not for me. And other times like myself, they're like, whoa, I had no idea that this existed in Israel. I was convinced that Israel was X, Y, Z. I had no idea that people could live like this, that there are people who are religious like this, that there are people who work like this, whatever it is. Right, right. Okay, so you identify obviously as Jewish, but you also identify as black. You said your mom is from Panama and where's your father from? So my dad's a New Yorker, (laughs) very non-exotic um my dad is a new yorker born and bred and my father was an african-american man my mother's latina so i identify both as like black and latina um biracial um and yeah my parents were very into my knowing and understanding their heritage and their culture growing up and they really wanted to make sure that that was an important part of my upbringing Um, that the Jewish bubble that can often be very all-encompassing wasn't the only thing that I ever knew and that even if it was from within our home that I got to know a little bit about their various backgrounds. That's beautiful and how did you feel growing up in Hollywood Florida as a Latina and as an African-American and a Jew Um, and also like this is like a you know two-sided question How did you experience that in Hollywood and then coming to Israel? How was that different? Yeah. Let's start with Um, Hollywood, Florida. So so yeah, so like I said, Hollywood was the place that I was like born and raised into. So I really didn't know anything else. Um, And that was something that my father, Dafka, really tried to come back growing up. Um, because the Jewish community and the from world was like home from day one. So like, there was no need to like work on that. It's sort of like my husband and I talk about languages all the time. My husband also speaks English, but we live here in Israel. So we talk all the time about how like one day when we have children, we want to make sure that we speak English inside the house because our children will be growing up in Israel. You know, like that's gonna be the world that they know. So like, we're not concerned about like them learning Hebrew, but we do wanna make sure that their English is gonna be strong. So that was kind of like my dad's approach to things. Like I grew up very much so in the Jewish community in Hollywood. So like, that was like an automatic part of my identity. Like if anything, I would say that's like the main part of my identity, you know? But the first of all, like my father always made sure to have people and friends of all walks of life and of all backgrounds, creeds, races, religions coming over all the time. Um, Our house was also the kind of house like we always had guests over for Shabbos. Sometimes they weren't Jewish. Um, So growing up from a young age, I definitely was exposed to a lot of different people. And many of those people were either Latino or black like myself um, or both. And even when I was young, my father went as far as when I was going to day camp still in the summer, he would send me to like, you know, the local boys and girls camp and whatnot. And he would like make sure that I was exposed to people outside of the Jewish community who in no way were affiliated or Jewish at all. So that I would get to know a little bit peers my age who perhaps didn't share the religion that I had, but shared other outward appearances. Um, Because growing up in the Jewish community in Hollywood, when I was a kid, at least, all of my friends were Caucasian. I didn't have any friends who looked like me um, or who had hair like me or anything like that. Um, 
yeah, all in all inside my community itself, like I didn't struggle with any of like my different identities. They didn't feel like conflicting identities because my parents had been a part of the community for many years before I was born. Mm. So there was no need to like prove myself or like any questioning of like who I was or where I came from or anything, which is also a huge bracha because I know that many yeah, many, many people of color who are Jews of color oftentimes struggle inside Jewish communities finding acceptance. Not always, but I know that that is something that's very common. So I personally never had to deal with that in my community. It was more out of my community or people who were new to the community that I'd sometimes have run-ins with, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, growing up in the community itself, it was always a very safe place for me. Even though you were the only one who was not white, you still felt yeah. accepted and part of the community because your parents were there for years before and they were already like comfortable there. Yeah, I do also think that it's important to say that as a child, I'm sure that there is a lot that went over my head, you know, that perhaps didn't pass over my parents' head. Like something that I've talked about before um, in other like podcasts yeah. and whatnot is that like when I was young in kindergarten, um, that there's a there's like the classic school in Hollywood that most people in the community or a lot of people in the community send their kids to and that was a school that I grew up going to um and at the time now they do but at the time um in the early 2000s <laughs> they did not have a gifted or honors track for kindergartners um I'm laughing saying this because this is like such a non-Israeli thing like <laughs> what god in Israel would have a track for five-year-olds but whatever um then my parents had me evaluated and they wanted me placed into an honors track they felt that um things were moving a little too slowly for me and my school didn't have that at the time and so my school recommended perhaps sending me to a nearby school in miami that did have that um and when i switched to that school also another private jewish day school when i switched to that school in miami um i came home one day and i told my mother how someone and this girl just for reference she wasn't like an enemy she was actually one of my closest friends in the class so like i don't think this was like a oh like anything kind of like meant to be rude but i told my mom how the teacher sent home a note about the fact that this other girl had asked the teacher in front of everyone very angrily why I was being pulled out because they would pull out like the five gifted kids from the class and they would take us all to a different classroom um, and she was like why does Yafi get pulled out for gifted I don't understand why she goes and I don't everyone knows that black people can't read um, so that like I only remember that story because I remember my parents being so upset about it you know yeah. like I think that there are probably a lot of things that perhaps did occur that totally went over my head that I didn't really recognize or notice. Um, Yeah. You're also in a new environment. It wasn't like you were in Hollywood, Florida in your cushion where you knew everybody. You went to a new school in Miami where you were a new person. Yeah. You know, that people didn't know you. So that's probably why you experienced that. Yeah. But I think something like that, though, has nothing to do with my Judaism. That has to do purely with the color of my skin, you know? Like, yeah, that young girl, like, was taught clearly either in her home or in whatever environment. Like, somehow she was taught the message that, like, there's no reality or where it would be preposterous that someone who's Black would be in a level higher than her, you know? Um, and that could have happened hypothetically anywhere, but yeah, no, definitely. Like I don't have negative memories from the community I have growing up. I have very fond memories. The community is still very much a home for me till today. Um, and yeah, like I said, it was more whenever I left the community that I would like bump into things, but my father was a very proud black man and so as a result from a young age when I very much was not appreciative today I am um but when I very much was not appreciative and didn't like it he very much drilled into my head not to be ashamed of myself that like okay like so your skin is different like so what like you know like in a reverse like scenario like your friend who's Caucasian would be the one who are different you know like if we live 20 minutes away in Dania where like the population at the time when I was younger was a lot more African-American like okay then your friends would be the odd ones out like so what like what does it matter you know like it doesn't matter and if it matters to other people then like that's on them that's not on you right 
I just feel like nowadays, the emphasis is not that we should be colorblind. It's not that we should not see color. I feel that the BLM movements encourage us to see color and like putting an emphasis on like black identity and in some instances promote sort of like a voluntary segregation. Martin Luther King had a dream that one day there's going to be a day that people won't see color anymore. Instead, they'll see character. Do you feel like that's what's going on nowadays? And what's the right approach? Um, so obviously what's the right approach is going to be very varied. <laughs> uh, different people have very strong opinions about this. I think there's a really important distinction to make though. I think the idea of not seeing color in a negative aspect is positive. As in like for the same example of like my friend who automatically equated dark skin, less smart, you know, like, yeah. I think that we should be able to, yes, look at people and not judge them based off of, not judge them negatively, I mean, based right. off of skin color. So in that aspect, I do think that not seeing color is great, but I think that I, and once again, I can't speak for the Black Lives Matter movement because <laughs> I didn't create it. <laughs> like, you know, like I'm not, yeah. <laughs> I'm not part of running anything with it, um, but I can speak at least for like the generational push that I'm hearing lots of people of color, not just black people, like yeah. Latinos, like Indians, like people of all walks of life from all different countries on the globe who very clearly are not Caucasian, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that the push of um, seeing color is not to say, oh, we're different, you know, like my skin is brown, your skin is white, we're different, you know, it's not to say we're different, it's to say recognize the things that come along with me. It's mm -hmm. in the same way that I think we as Jews, like, wouldn't appreciate it if people were like, let's not see religion, you know, like, mm -hmm. in a negative aspect, let's not see religion, don't look at me and see that I'm Jewish, because of my shape, don't assume that I have money, and that I'm a money miser, yeah. and I'm gonna steal from you. But in the positive aspect, do recognize my Jewishness, recognize that I am part of a religion that is powerful and strong and has so much to offer to the world, even if you're not gonna be a Jew. I have such a rich culture and history that I come from. And yeah. to not recognize that is wrong, you know? And yeah. on the flip side, when it comes to problems, not recognizing that is dangerous, you know? Right. When I have friends who aren't Jewish, who have a difficult time acknowledging or hearing that, that there's anti-Semitism in the world today, that would be them not being willing to recognize my Jewishness, you know? They see me as, oh, Yafi, their friend, but not Yafi, their friend who is Jewish. Like, mm -hmm. I am their friend, but I am also very much a strong and proud Jewish woman. And that is precisely how I feel about being Black. Don't look at my skin color and then stop there if my skin color is different than them. Not because it's about my skin and we're fixated on my skin, but more in the sense of, if I were pale, you know, if I were someone who were African-American, but super pale, um, you know, I would still want my blackness and that heritage to be recognized. Um, they're all rich parts of what, you know, like what we yeah. say, like, you know, yeah. Um, and to ignore that would be just as problematic. And in terms of racism can be just as dangerous when people are not willing to recognize the struggles that do come with looking this way in the world. Yeah, that's beautiful explanation. I love how you balance that, that we shouldn't completely ignore the fact that you're black, you're Latina, you're Jewish, recognize the differences and the beauty of those differences and don't use the differences in a way like to separate us, but use the differences to bring us together that we are different, but we are also the same. We are part of the human species. We are all part of humanity. Yeah. And all the different colors and religions and identities can all come together for one goal, right? To serve humanity. So I love that. I love what you said about that. That's very interesting. Did you experience any racism when you came to Israel? And was it different from what you experienced in Hollywood? Um, yes and no. Um, 
to be honest, I've been living in Israel now for about seven years. And the seven years I've been living here, I personally, and a huge dagesh on I personally, because I have many friends who live here who would not be saying the same thing, and Dafka would be saying the opposite of what I'm about to say, but I personally haven't experienced so much racism in Israel. Um, I have experienced much more in America, and mm. to be honest, when I go back and visit communities in America, I usually do have some encounter or another. I think it's also important to put this caveat here right now, which is that not every encounter that is a racist encounter is a malicious one, yeah. which I think is a really important distinction to make. And I think it's something that's very hard for people to understand and swallow. And I think like as Jews, we can very much show, think about anti-Semitism when it comes to the statement. Like, you know, not every single time when you run into something that is anti-Semitic, is it malicious or dangerous physically in that moment. Sometimes it's a small comment about like, you know, like you're with your friends and you pick up the pennies and they're like, oh, like classic you, like, you know, like you probably learned that at home. It's not a dangerous comment. Mm -hmm. but Thank you for making rude. that distinction. It's rude and it's anti-Semitic, you know, like did right. that person probably intend to be snide? Like sometimes yes, you know, like if you're dealing with someone like that, then perhaps they were trying to like, you know, slip that comment underneath there. But more often than not, with good humans, and I'd like to believe that most of us are trying to be good people on this world, they don't mean it in that way, but they've been fed a certain narrative that it's hard right. for them to pass. Um, and or it could be from ignorance. Or from ignorance, yeah. Or, from ignorance. or And therefore, it's very hard sometimes for people to even see that, and it makes it harder to therefore educate them and call them out on that, you know? Because like in that example, for example, like it'd be very hard to tell your friend like, oh, you know, that comment was kind of anti-Semitic. It's easy to explain why, but it might be very hard to put it in a way that they would understand that, you know, making a small comment about you picking up the change off of the Starbucks receipt that you just paid for with your own money, like, no, like, it's not because I'm a Jew, it's just because I'm saving money, you know? Like yeah. the fact that you decided to attach an anti-Semitic trope to the fact that I am picking up my loose change, that's on you and that's something you need to work on. So I think it's very important to make that distinction that not every single thing that I'm talking about when I say dealing with racism means that someone was calling me the N-word or telling me that some disgusting thing. Oftentimes I find, and this is honestly the reason why I continue to talk about this, because I think this is, at least in the Jewish world, the yeah. most important type of racism to combat. It's the subtle things. Yeah. It's the things that I don't even think the people recognize when they're doing it. And as a result, it becomes very uncomfortable and difficult to call them out on that. Or not even call them out, to explain to them, you know? Yeah. A lot more flies with honey than you do vinegar or whatever the saying is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even when trying to explain something privately and you know very sensitively to someone it's still very hard a lot of times for people to take that in because in 2021 no one wants to be called a racist and I think yeah. when people hear that anything they've done could be racist they automatically throw up a shield They're, no it's not no it's not yeah. uh, my family went through lots of trials and tribulations and has dealt with a lot of bigotry um anti-semitism whatever it is you know my family yeah. was poor, like I can't be racist and it's like that's not the case <laughs> like mm -hmm. that's not how it works you right. know, like there could be someone who suffered greatly and they could still be doing negative things to other people, you know, like a black person who has experienced great racism could still be discriminating against someone who is from China, you know, like, yeah. And same too, like we as Jews can still be discriminating against other people, even if we have gone through terrible, terrible things in our families or in our histories. I think that was a very big part of the argument that was going on a couple months ago when this whole George Floyd incident was going on where certain people were saying that we have, Jewish people have Jewish privilege, white privilege, and that we have to look within and face our racism. And then other people were like, I'm not racist. Why, why are you calling me racist? And to be honest, I was one of the people that I felt like attacked when I was going on someone's stories and they were like, face your inner racism. I'm like, how am I racist? Why are you calling me racist? And I felt like I felt like I needed to defend myself. But here you're telling me that there is a nuance. It's not like blatant racism that just comes out. Obviously, 
it's it's subtle it's it's like the little things like you know when someone passes by you and just an automatic stereotype you might have about someone who's chinese or indian or whatever it is persian i'm a persian jew i'm sure when i tell people i'm persian they're like automatically they just switch their brains yeah. just switch oh you're persian so you're like this you're loud you're a gossiper whatever it is you know, if, if you were to call someone out for saying any of those things that you just mentioned right now, they might be like, oh, it's just a joke. I don't actually think you're a gossip, you know, but it's like, no, like you're feeding into that stereotypes that Persians are X and like, we are not, you know, like I'm not Persian. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of people really, really struggle with, like really struggle with. No one yeah. wants to be called a bigot of any kind in today's day and age. Of course it, not. It's very passe. It is very not okay. It's not cool. Um, and people get incredibly defensive. And look, we all have that, you know, like yeah. there are things that I am ignorant about that I'm sure I have fumbled and made mistakes on and made people feel uncomfortable or upset about. And it's very possible that if they called me out on it, I would be like, I totally didn't mean it like that. But the difference is, is that I think we all like as a whole, like it doesn't matter if you're white, black, Jewish, anything like as a whole, I think us human beings in today's day and age really need to work on being able to take a step back and recognize that perhaps you're not in that person's shoes. You don't understand their culture or their whatever. And that most people on the planet usually have something that they could draw upon to be able to understand another person's struggle. Yeah. And that even if it seems ridiculous, you know, like, you know, like, God forbid, like, you know, your struggle seems so much more terrible because I don't know, like, you yeah. lost like your grandfather at a young, not you, of course, the editorial. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you lost your grandfather at a very young age and like this person's crying like over something else that they lost and you're like, that's so small. That's yeah. not a grandparent. And they're yeah. like, how are you doing like you know and then like you meet someone else like years later who looks at your pain of the loss of your grandfather when they lost their sibling and they look at you like that's so small you know like we all have something that we could draw upon that we could either use it to say no your pain is not as great as mine my pain is worse but there will always be someone else who has a greater pain who can look at us and say the same and yeah. that's wrong you know it's yeah. so wrong we don't appreciate it. It's not helpful. And honestly, it just leads to more strife down the line. And it has throughout history. There has to be less comparison, like comparative victimhood. I'm the greater victim. I, we went through the Holocaust. We went through all the pogroms. We went through all of this. And more just using your experience in history to be more empathetic towards someone else's struggle. And I think as Jewish people, we have a responsibility to, to be empathetic and compassionate towards other people's struggles, other people's identities, and really feel their pain because we were also strangers in a land. And it says in the Torah, because we were strangers in the land, we can't treat, we have to treat the stranger well. We have to treat them with respect and dignity and understand their experience and inc be inclusive. And I think there needs to be more conversation and more, you know, talking to each other and listening as opposed to just, you know, dictating what my politics are, what my passions are. Instead of having a conversation, trying to educate people without being dogmatic. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, and I think I think the biggest thing that I've really seen over this past summer is that the people on all sides, whether it was people I was speaking to who were Black and not Jewish, or people I was speaking to who were Jewish and not Black, there are people I spoke to who were crossovers of all those things, but specifically those two groups, I found that when I was able to speak to them in a way that showed that I was actually listening and caring about what they were saying, all of a sudden they cared a lot more about what I was saying. Yes. And I think that's the biggest thing. Like we don't need to make this, like I, 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 it was very hard for me to see like pockets in the Jewish world making this like an us versus them thing. Yeah. Cause like yeah. we don't need to make this an us versus them thing. Like 
we're both minorities in the world or at least in America specifically. Yeah. And we lean on one another, you know, like my father always used to say that like Jews care a lot more about like the plight of black people in America and black people in America should care a lot more about the plight of Jews and what we have to go through with anti-Semitism. And mm. I know that a lot of people then like to jump up and say, oh, but they're not caring about us and about our community and their anti-Semitic attacks like you know like they're this or they're that and like they don't care or they're even happy and to that I say I know so many black people who say the exact same thing about racism about Jews and that breaks my heart and when I've been able to speak to people who are genuinely willing to listen and I think that's the biggest thing being really willing to listen and it's hard it is very hard when you feel like you've been attacked or you have a certain narrative in your head about a certain group to speak to someone who is part of that group, part of that world, and to actually try to open yourself up and to actually open yourself up also to hear what they're saying is very difficult. But I found that when people have been able to do that over the summer, beautiful things happen. Maybe people aren't automatically changed like that overnight, but there is so much more understanding and patience and yeah. eureka moments and conversations where people are, were like jews told me wow i didn't realize that black people had gone through xyz i thought that they were doing xyz because and fill in the blank with whatever thing they had been told or assumed growing up and the same with black people i spoke to about things that jews go through in america today and they didn't recognize or realize as well right. and i just think it's such a pity when we're not able to do that and i know it's hard i know it's so hard but I think, like I said, my Jewish identity is probably the biggest part of me. I think it's such, I don't want to say Hashem because that feels like almost a little too strong, but like in that direction, when instead of making a friend, we push people away further, you know? Mm-hmm. Like when it comes to Limu Torah, like we make it very clear that like, we're not a religion, like, you know, that says like, no, don't ask questions. Like we're a religion that encourages the questions. Why? Cause like, we want to draw people in. We want to bring them in. Like, you know, like yeah. the kid who's struggling in yeshiva, like, you know, like you don't shut him down. Like you let him ask his questions to draw him in to like, you know, what his like, learning and like hopefully that'll like you know grow into desire to be like closer and to understand more and everything and i think that's the exact same way like hashem showed us that that's how we should treat people um yeah that's yeah. true that's beautiful so i was asking you a question before but obviously we got into a very interesting conversation do you feel like in israel because you know it's a democratic it's a democratic country and they're very advanced and progressive in many ways. Do you feel like the Jewish people in Israel are less racist or more racist against black people? What, what has your experience been like? Um, so I don't think it's a more or less thing. And like I said, on this topic, you will find so many different opinions from people who are Jews of color to people who are Jews of color. People have varying opinions, so this is wholly mine. <laughs> no yeah. one go and take this as the universal opinion of people of color, Jews of color specifically. But I personally find that it's not that there's less racism, it's just that it takes a different form in the Jewish world than Israel. Yeah, can you tell us how? I've said this yeah, I've said this many times and it still stands till today for me. What I have experienced is that in America, for example, when I come into a new community, there's this like vetting period. Now the vetting period might only be a few hours or it could stretch to months. And I know that for some people in their case, it has even even been years, um, which is incredibly painful, but it's like this like very politically correct, like American trying to like, you know, like Mm -hmm. find things out without like directly asking like, how are you Jewish? Like, you know, like <laughs> people will like, and, and I've had a lot of people say like, oh, well, they were just asking questions. And oftentimes when I've been in new places, I'm usually there with other people. I haven't really ever been in a situation where I've been in a new Jewish community by myself. Um, and my friends or my husband usually won't get quite the same questions that I'll get of like, oh, where was your mother born? Yeah. Oh, what community did she grew up in? Like, oh, interesting. And where did your father learn? Oh, like, you know, Um, and people will try to like surreptitiously find out like, how am I Jewish? Where did I convert? They assume that I did convert, which I didn't. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, how Jewish am I? Like, do I really understand things? Um, but I found that once you get past that hurdle of the vetting period, um, that then all of a sudden they stop seeing your blackness and it's just like, oh, you're just like the Jew in the community, which on the one hand is very nice to feel accepted. On the other hand, it does go back to all the things that we were talking about earlier of like, you know, like when you ignore something about a person completely, like you're also ignoring things that they might be struggling with that come along with that yeah. or insensitive things you might be doing that are therefore hurting that person in your community. Um, so that's what I found. Whereas in Israel, it's totally not like that. In Israel, when I walk into a new community, a new shul, a new organization, a new whatever, like no one bats an eye, you know, like yeah. in America, like sometimes I'll walk into a Jewish space, a restaurant even. I went to a restaurant in Brooklyn with my family and we were turning heads. Yeah. <laughs> turning heads <laughs> lots of open mouths and staring and whispering like that doesn't happen in Israel yeah um which on the one hand is nice because it feels at least like automatic acceptance because no one seems to really have a problem with who you are however what I found in Israel is that I'm not usually getting questions about how am I Jewish or if I'm Jewish it's usually hmm. just assumed that I am yes, however people will usually attach assumptions to me and it's really hard for Israelis to kind of like work back from those assumptions. Like <laughs> what kind those, of assumptions? So right now it's winter, so I'm a little bit paler, but in the okay. summer I get a lot tanner, a uh -huh. lot darker. And um, I mean, now I'm married, so I cover my hair and it's different, but whatever, when I didn't cover my hair, my hair is curly. Yeah. Um, and people, if my hair, for example, was messy and I didn't brush my hair that day and it was like in a bun in a rat's nest, and I was really dark and it's in the summer, then I get Ethiopian. Mm, right. Sometimes I'll get Indian. In the winter, sometimes I would get French, Brazilian, Filipino, Tequila, uh -huh. like yeah. literally like any, any place in the world that has people of color, <laughs> there yeah. might be a chance that I have been asked if I am from that place right um and Israelis don't really ask they just assume that you're from that place right. and I remember where we were living previously there were multiple times that we'd go somewhere and like there would be no questions but at a certain point like you know something about Ethiopians for example would come up and they would be like oh Yafi like you know like you must know about this and I'm like oh my god I don't and they're like what do you mean like you know and I'm like I don't know, like, you know, like injera, like, you know, like it's a bread that Ethiopians make. It's like a flatbread. And I've tried it once in my life and it was at Nishmat. <laughs> it was Yom Hasig, which is like an Ethiopian holiday. And I was just like, I, I don't know how to make injera. I'm really sorry. I've never made right. it in my life. I don't have a recipe for you. Um, and then they're like, what, but you're Ethiopian. And then you have yeah. to explain not Ethiopian. They're like, how could it be that you're not Ethiopian? And it's like, well, there are Jews of color who are not X, right. whatever it is that they assumed that I was from. Yeah. Um, so I think it just depended on a person's personality, what they prefer. Um, you know, some people might find that like vetting period, if you want to call it that in America, very alienating and too difficult and very abrasive and not something that they're okay with. Um, and they would prefer to deal with like, you know, the automatic acceptance that you feel like yeah. you get in Israel for other people, they might prefer like, you know, to have people vet them to have to prove their Judaism in some way or another, and then to move on with their life and not have to deal with like the assumptions that might pop up <laughs> living in Israel. Yeah. Um, all in all, I think this like for me goes back to what my dad said about like the so what about skin color and how I was like, it's not about not seeing color, but it's about recognizing that like sometimes as a person who's different, you have to walk through life to others reactions saying so what you know like yeah. if every person who was experiencing bigotry let that define them like they would crumble we defined ourselves as jewish based on be you know anti-semitism that wouldn't be a pleasant identity so yeah i hear that yeah yeah so it's like for me it's like these are the biggest parts of my identity. And when I run into problems with people, I just tell myself, so what? <laughs> it's on them. Like, you know, if they're interested in getting to know me and knowing more about my Judaism or my blackness or my Latino culture, like, awesome. And if they're yeah. not, and if they have preconceived notions that they're not willing to even remotely challenge, so what? Yeah. Okay.
So how did you, how did you meet your husband? Cause that's very interesting. Your husband is white and you guys met in Israel. Were there any obstacles along the way when you guys met and did he have any preconceived notions or was it just like, I'm getting to know you. I, I don't see color. I see Yafi. How did yeah. that, how did that go? Um, so, um, this is our Shabbos table story. So I'll tell the abridged version. Okay. When you come for Shabbos in Jerusalem one day, we'll tell you guys the whole story. Okay, fine. Um, but my husband and I met actually, um, the summer right before I came from my year in Israel. So like two months before I flew to Israel again to start my year, um i came to israel on a summer program and we literally like bumped into each other like two strangers like you know like you're walking down ben yehuda and like someone bumps into you and you talk for two minutes like you know like that kind of experience um he definitely did have assumptions i say it was because of my skin color he says that it wasn't <laughs> whatever you know every how we met story has its machokas yeah um and uh we went on with our lives, you know, two strangers met for two seconds. And then when I came back from my year in Israel, the last night in Slichot, I wanted to go to the Kotel with my roommate. Um, I had never been in Israel during the Chagim, so I had no idea that Slichot at the Kotel was like an event and that like right. literal tens of thousands of people pour from every area of Israel to the Kotel. Um, it was pretty late at night and we were like, oh, it's going to be so spiritual. <laughs> like us alone at the Kotel, like totally was not us alone at the Kotel. Very spiritual, but not in the way we had anticipated. And I was walking um, and I am very proud of my religious identity, but I'm definitely not. My mother is more of a very spiritually connected person, I'd say, you know, like sees all the little hidden things and everything. Uh -huh. I'm not like, you know, I'm a little bit more of like a different kind of connection to my yeah. religious side. And uh, we were walking and it was super late at night, very dark, already walking down to the Kota. It was like shoulder to shoulder, like everyone's on top of you, super packed. And I look up and like 10 feet in front of me, I see like this guy's back of his head. And like I told my roommate, I was like, Haley, I was like, we have to go bump into that guy. Like I need to see his face. Like there's just something about him. Wow. Mind <laughs> you, like when I met my husband for two seconds, we like literally met for two seconds. It was late at night. Like I was tired. Like he also like he had a totally different haircut and look, everything. Like, and my husband's back of his head, while very special to me, is pretty nondescript. <laughs> like right. dark brown hair, <laughs> like you know, like nothing. Yeah particularly distinctive and I was like Rachele we have to get there she obviously told me I was crazy because I did sound crazy and um we got up to where he was after a lot of Israeli elbowing and pushing yeah. <laughs> and I accidentally bumped into him and, accidentally <laughs> exactly and um he turned around and he says that he turned around to like yell like you know being the Israeli that he is like like whatever and uh he looked at me and he's like you look really familiar and I was like you look really familiar and uh we talked all the way down to, until we got to the hotel we figured it out um, we did not actually start dating them because I was a good sum girl. Once I decided to come for Sam, I was like, that's it. I'm studying. Like, I'm not dealing with like anything else. He asked me out. I said, no, whatever. It's a long story, but we ended up dating eventually yeah. um, later on that year. Um, and we dated for a few years through his army service and got middle married in the middle of that. In the middle um, of his army service. Yeah. Wow. And your family came to Israel for the wedding and everything. Yeah, yeah, for everything. For, yeah. But was but, it easy to just get together? How did, how did that play out? So in terms of us personally, it was very easy. Like there was nothing, there was no things. Yeah. Um, but uh, about like two months, two or three months into dating, um, my husband's yeshiva had like a rule that like you have to leave cell phones outside the base. And so he was like very stark and he's like, you know, like yeshiva time and like he would learn until like one o'clock in the morning and then like he'd call me to say goodnight. Um, it's very cute. <laughs> and <laughs> so he like called me like early one night and I was like surprised to hear from him. I thought something was wrong. I was like, Nadav, like, you know, like you're calling me early, Did something happened. And he's like, Yafi, he's like, it just hit me. And I was like, what? And he's like, we're an interracial couple. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, 
like right <laughs> was that not obvious to begin with and he was like no I don't know like I just like it never like I never processed it and I was like okay um so I would say he very much so was like didn't see color yeah um, we Baruch Hashem never had any issues in our relationship or in or in our families Thank like, God. together which I know is not the story of many people yeah given my background but I will definitely say that like there definitely has been like a learning curve you know like yeah. um my husband like any person you know like didn't walk in my shoes all his life so he doesn't yeah. understand all the things I understand about being a person of color um and there definitely were instances where like you know like he might share something and like I would like explain why like I totally didn't agree with that perspective and there are like a lot of like aha moments like in the beginning where he'd be like wow like I didn't recognize that it felt that way I know also meeting my father as well um because I'm not really an activist like I've just been talking about this because like the Jewish community is home for me and like I want our community to be the best that we can be my father was very much an activist though and like my husband got into tons of conversations hours upon hours with my dad and I know that that like really opened up his eyes because he like many Jews who grew up in the firm world yeah. he was not exposed to so many American Jews of color growing up he had a lot of Ethiopian friends um but they don't have the same background very different history very different yeah. background also experienced a lot of racism but there's yeah. a different culture there you know like to mush all Jews of color who are black into the same boat is like yeah. not correct like we don't have yeah. the same struggles we may have a lot of similar ones but we don't all have the exact identical ones um and not this past summer but recently when we were in new york um we did a meal at one of my brother's houses in brooklyn for shabbos and my brother like my father was very into like you know opening his home for shabbos if anyone needs a place come like you'll eat by us whatever and what was supposed to be like a 10 person meal, which already was like very big for like their Brooklyn apartment, ended up being like an almost 30 person meal. Wow. And it was like the week that like there was like citywide blackouts. <laughs> and it was oh like, my God. It was terrible, whatever. But the point is, is that everyone at the table was a Jew of color. There was oh. not one Caucasian person there. And I didn't think anything of it because right. I'm so used to walking in my Jewish spaces throughout the world, being the only one who looks like me, that like, I didn't even think of what my husband must feel like being the only one who looks like him. Mm -hmm. And I remember when we walked out of that meal, he looked at me and he was like, I get it now. He's like, yeah. I, I, he's like, now that I get it, I understand how much I didn't get it. Wow. Like, not that I got it. I, I just got goosebumps. And I, it really, it gave me goosebumps because like it's wow. such a powerful sentence that I don't think so many of us realize like until you get it, you don't get it. And yeah. we can be very arrogant as human beings. I myself can be very arrogant and am sometimes and try to work on that. But sometimes it's hard until you realize how much so you made assumptions and thought you got it. He's like, I can't imagine what it must always be like that that's your always, you know, yeah. like you are always the one who looks and who is separate from everyone else and noticeably so and no one at the meal cared about my husband's skin color like right. no, one, no one said right. anything about it. it wasn't a topic of conversation it wasn't like it came up but he felt so outsider so yeah. other um and he's like I can't believe this is what you go through life feeling like and I was like it's fine it's okay <laughs> but wow. yeah it's definitely it's different as a biracial couple as you said do you do you feel like people just accept you guys? Did you get any heat from that? From like, not from like family or anything, but like when you guys walk in together, do you get any, You don't get any stares that you're a biracial couple, a Jewish biracial couple in Israel. So, so in Israel, uh, not so much. We have gotten like a little bit of looks and whatnot sometimes when we travel in America. Yeah. Um, in Israel, not so much, but I will say that sometimes it's just because people like you know like a biracial couple isn't so wild anymore in israel like you know by the time that we hopefully our children are having children it will be like not even something that people even think to talk about because it'll be so normal um and it's definitely starting to become a lot more normal here like i don't feel like we're like the odd ones out but i will definitely say that we definitely did used to 
like six years ago, like when we our first year of dating, we did get a lot of looks. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it was specific that year or if things have really changed so drastically since then, but we were getting a lot of looks, never any like actual confrontation, but definitely looks. Um, and something that does still happen is a lot of times, like, for example, like, mom, don't listen to this. <laughs> but um, when we were living in a yeshuv, so we would sometimes tramp back home. I know to Americans, that's crazy. It's very different here. <laughs> Not wait, saying that things can't Wait, what dangerous. was you I didn't hear you. <laughs> Tramp. What does that mean? Oh, hitchhike. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Stick your finger out. Um, <laughs> that's just like the normal way that people travel back home. The bus doesn't come. You take like uh whatever. There's like designated spots and whatever. And like some people do it more extreme. We did it on like the very baby way, but we were standing in like a very accepted spots to hitchhike home and um many times when we get in the car together especially if it was like you know from couple then they would say like you know like let the girl sit in the front or let the girl sit in the back wherever it was so that, like you know guys aren't on top of girls whatever it's israel uh -huh. it's cute, like, you know? right. <laughs> and so there were definitely many times like we'd get into the car together and like they'd be like oh like let her sit up front or like you know let him sit up front and he'd be like this is my wife and they're like oh, oh. my god right <laughs> They didn't think you guys would actually be together, just like random people taking yeah. a hitchhike together. Yeah, but like, listen, like it's par for the course, you know, like things change and change often comes slowly when it's really monumental change. And if these are the things that I have to deal with and in the hopes that one day when my children are my age that they won't have to deal with it or that it's significantly less, bring it on. <laughs> like, bring it on. you know? Love it more than so, happy to do the work now so. beautiful yafi i have uh, one last question for you first of all i want to say thank you so much for your time and for teaching me and anyone who's listening so much about the experience of a black latina jewish woman and it's not black and white excuse the pun it's not so black and white there's so <laughs> much nuance in the conversation and there's so much getting to know a person and you really I really listen to you with an open mind you know I think I feel like in the beginning of this I was like so defensive and I'm like no I'm not racist like how dare people call me racist and I'm learning here it's not really about like people telling me I'm racist it's just it's more like open your mind and just see the experience of another human being and their struggles of what they have been going through. Because you, I definitely went through struggles myself with my identity and picture that. So I really, I wanna thank you for opening my eyes and for helping me see another element of this. I really wanna thank you for that. So my last question for you, since this is an episode about Aliyah and living in Israel, what do you love most about living in Israel? Wow. <laughs> That's a loaded one. How do you yeah. pick one thing? Um, what do I love most? I know. Sometimes I have loaded questions. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one, though. Um, I think for me, it will definitely have to be the sort of lifestyle that we're able to have um, here. I know that something that we didn't quite talk about, but that like I alluded to is that like, I personally really feel like I found myself religiously in Israel. I did grow up from like, you know, I grew up Shomer Shabbos and Kashras and the whole nine yards, but like, it just felt like the thing that I was doing. Yes, I'm Jewish and I believe in Hashem and all of that, but like, it felt tired and uninspired for me, not admit that American Jewry is like my connection at that time with Judaism felt very tired. Um, mm -hmm. And it felt like something that of course I would continue on in life and I would raise my children in, but I didn't have this like fire in me. Um, and 
there are so many little varied communities within every religious bubble, you know, like mm-hmm. my friends will sometimes try to like categorize me and they're like, oh, so you're Datilo me, you're this, you're that. And I'm like, yeah, but like, you know, like if you don't live here, then it's hard to understand like all the different little pockets and like different communities. But like the religious expression spectrum is so huge. And I just feel like I'm able to like express my avodat Hashem to the fullest. Not that it's always easy. I'm not saying that I'm always a hundred percent connected, you know, like, oh, like I'm living like, you know, my best spiritual life a hundred percent of the time, not at all. Just like any person anywhere in the world, there are ups and downs, but I just feel like I found myself here religiously in a way that I was never able to do anywhere else. And I love seeing that when I can see that in other people you know mm-hmm. when we go someplace for Shabbos and it's like wow this just feels like home you know like even if we're not identical like there are shared values be it religious social whatever and knowing that like there are places where I can go and feel like these people get me in in every way you know um so yeah, yeah. I would definitely have to say uh my religious expression beautiful Yafi beautiful Wow, you're you're. I, I want to go to Israel right now. <laughs> come, come for Shabbos. God willing, when they let us come into the country, Yafi. <laughs> Yafi, where can people find you if they want to reach out to you and they want to learn more about perhaps making Aliyah or just connecting with you and talking about racism and all those other issues? For sure, um, I am on Instagram. Um, I'm sure you could drop my handle. It's yes. Yafi, just yeah. the first three letters of both of my names. Um, and yeah, I'm not always so active on there because of school and life. Yes. But um, when I am, I really love meeting people on there because, you know, wouldn't have met you otherwise. And yes, look at this beautiful connection. So well, I'm blessed to have made this connection with you. And I'm sure anyone else who connects with you is going to feel that bracha in their lives. Thank you so much, Yafi. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to leave a review, subscribe, and feel free to reach out with feedback and questions. If you want to learn more about what I do, you can check out my Instagram page at coach.kk and check out the link in my bio. Let's connect.